on the show today. Our evil takes credit for a sizable ransomware attack. Users of one of Western digital storage devices have found their devices wiped by hackers. Several privacy-focused companies have asked the EU and U.S. to ban surveillance-based advertising. Our scam of the day is one you might encounter during your next hotel stay. And today's tip gives you five strategies to deal with spam. All of that and more is coming up on the July 12th, 2021 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal Podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. I have five stories on the news beat for you today. We begin with some news that broke over the holiday weekend, where the ransomware gang Our Evil has taken credit for a ransomware attack that the group claims infected over one million systems. A message posted on Our Evil's website states that they began an attack on managed service providers beginning Friday, July 2nd. The message then says that they would release a universal decryptor for the price of $70 million in Bitcoin. This is not the first time that Our Evil has made the news, or even this podcast. Our Evil was also the group responsible for the ransomware attack on JBS Foods last month. Between these attacks from Our Evil and the dark side attack on the Colonial Pipeline Company, it appears that the Biden administration's resolve to deal with the increasing threat of ransomware is sure to be tested soon. Meanwhile, in a different attack, some owners of the WD MyBook Live storage device found that the data on their devices had been wiped. The MyBook Live has not been supported by Western Digital since 2015 which means it has not received security updates in almost six years. It appears there were at least two separate vulnerabilities used in the attacks, and at least one of them was known since 2018. And even though the devices are no longer supported by WD, the company has offered to attempt data recovery on the wiped devices, although there's no promise that the data could be recovered. They have also offered to exchange the MyBook Live devices for newer MyCloud devices. Moving to the courthouse, a group of 36 states plus the District of Columbia filed a lawsuit against Google, claiming its App Store abuses its market position and forces aggressive terms on developers. Developers have long complained that the App Store's policies amount to extortion, requiring them to use Google's payment system, which charges a 30% fee for processing. The developers say that this surcharge requires them to charge higher prices for their services. 
The lawsuit also expresses these same concerns, saying that Google has over a 90% market share in the Android ecosystem and faces no credible market threat. Google responded by saying they were surprised by the lawsuit, given that the Google Play Store is much less restrictive than Apple's App Store. This lawsuit is the latest in a series of antitrust actions taken by states and the federal government. Only time will tell if this action actually results in any punishment or useful changes to Google's policies. In other legal-related news, a group of privacy-focused tech companies has asked the U.S. and European Union to institute a ban on surveillance advertising. In an open letter, the companies claimed that surveillance-based advertising harms both the users and other companies. They stated that this type of advertising damages a user's liberties, such as the right to privacy, and it also allows abusive companies to hide amongst legitimate ones. This letter comes only two weeks after the Norwegian Consumer Council put out a similar call to ban this practice. However, given the power the big tech companies wield, it seems like seeing surveillance-based advertising banned might still be a long shot. And finally, one family recently experienced what it's like to draw the bank error in your favor card in Monopoly just in real life instead. The family logged into their online banking through Chase Bank to see a $50 billion deposit had been placed in their account. Chase attributed the error to a system glitch and corrected it a few days later. However, the family did exercise enough self-control to not spend the money, but instead, they just enjoyed logging in and seeing all those extra zeros in their bank account balance. And now we move on to the scam of the day. Today's scam is one you could encounter if you stay in a hotel. Imagine checking into your hotel and preparing for a relaxing evening only to find out your credit card has been declined. As your fear that you might be kicked out of the hotel begins to rise, you begin to panic. You're miles from home, and now you're concerned about whether or not you're even going to have a place to stay. What makes it worse is that these calls often come late in the evening or even in the middle of the night. You're probably either asleep or already ready for bed there's a good chance you're not dressed to go down to the front desk. So when the person offers to take your card number again over the phone, you are more than willing to take advantage of the offer. But the truth is, there was never any problem with your card. The person calling isn't from the front desk. It's someone who managed to get connected to your room from the outside. And as you can probably guess, you've just given your credit card number to someone who is not going to take good care of it. But the situation could become worse when you realize what happened and call to cancel your card. If you don't have another way to pay for things through your trip, it could be challenging to access your money or pay for other expenses. 
Make sure that you always have more than one option to pay. And whenever possible, having an account or cards from two different banks is an even better idea. If one bank is having problems with their cards, at least you can pull out an emergency card from a different bank to pay. So if you receive a call from the front desk, tell them that you'll call right back. Disconnect the line and then call the front desk yourself. That way, you know exactly who you're speaking to. If you find a scam you think we'd like to talk about on the show, you can send it to us at scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now it's time for the Cybersecurity Pop Quiz. Each week, we ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is a multiple choice question. The question is, when is it safe to click on the link in an email? A, whenever you receive a link. B, when the link is pointing to a site you recognize. C, when you know the person who sent the email. Or D, when you are expecting the link. The answer will be revealed in next week's episode. But if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz to submit your guess and find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you'll be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 3 in August. But your guess must be submitted before the next episode airs on Monday, July 19th. For official rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz rules. Last week's question was, it is safe to use any public Wi-Fi network to access the internet. True or false? The correct answer is false. There are plenty of good, free Wi-Fi networks available. However, there are also some that can be set up by scammers. Everything your computer sends out could then be logged and examined by the scammers. So if you do decide to use public Wi-Fi, make sure that you're connecting to the right network. At a hotel, restaurant, or coffee shop, make sure you know the name of the network that you should be connecting to. And don't save the network on your devices, especially your phone. If every McDonald's in the area called their Wi-Fi McDonald's Wi-Fi, someone else could set up a network with the same name in an attempt to get unsuspecting devices to automatically connect. And just because a network is free does not mean that it's safe. Don't connect to any free Wi-Fi network just because you think it's free internet. You don't know whether or not that network is safe to use. Spam can be annoying, especially when it manages to evade your filter and make it into your inbox. 
However, there are some ways that you can help control this scourge of the online world. We'll discuss five tips to help stop spam when we come back from this short break. Hi, it's Jim. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you could follow us in your favorite podcast player. That will ensure you never miss an episode. And while you're there, we'd also appreciate it if you could rate the show and give us a review. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And finally, the best review that someone can give us is to tell their friends about the show. Invite them to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send them to our website, cybersecuritymadepersonal.com, where they can find links to the show in all the major podcast players. Thanks for your support, and now, back to the show. For many years, the word spam would evoke the thought of a ham-like meat stored in a can. And just when some people thought that that word couldn't evoke any worse connotations, the 90s and early 2000s brought about an even worse definition for that word. Fortunately, email providers have begun employing filters that help keep spam from reaching your inbox. But that filtering isn't perfect. Spammers have done their best to figure out ways to evade the filtering, and sometimes you have to deal with the junk in your spam folder to get an email that got sent there by accident. So despite the best efforts of your email provider, spam still needs to be a concern for you. What can you do to keep these messages out of your inbox? Here are five strategies you can employ to help keep it at bay. First, the most simple solution you can use is to click the button and report the email as spam. You might wonder if that does any good, but it actually does. If an email address is sending a substantial amount of emails that are being reported as spam, it's going to get blacklisted by the provider. But even that isn't going to stop the spammers for long. They'll just set up another email address and continue their spamming. But reporting emails as spam also helps your email provider recognize what you think is spam. For some emails, what you consider spam, someone else might think is a legitimate promotional email. Your email provider will start to learn your preferences and adjust its spam filtering to what you want. And finally, the filters are now using artificial intelligence to help them improve. The more items you mark as spam when it legitimately is spam, the better the AI will become at distinguishing between spam and legitimate emails. And don't forget the reverse is also true. If a message you wanted in your inbox got filtered to your spam or junk folder, don't just leave it there. Mark it as not spam or move it to your inbox so the filter knows that's an email you wanted to receive. Second, don't click the unsubscribe link on actual spam emails. Now this doesn't mean you should never click unsubscribe. 
The requirement that marketers include an unsubscribe link was a welcome addition to email marketing. And I highly recommend you make use of that feature when you are dealing with marketing emails that you no longer want. But it should be no surprise to you that the spammers don't actually have your best interest in mind. Many spammers have weaponized the unsubscribe link against you. Instead of sending a message to take you off of their list, the unsubscribe link in spam will actually send a message that you not only have a valid email address, but that you are actually opening the emails that hit your inbox. So of course, this means you're going to receive more spam, not less. Third, turn off delivery and read receipts on your inbox. If you didn't already know this, someone can send a message to you and request that they get an email back when it's been delivered or once you've opened it. In what should hopefully be obvious, a delivery receipt is one that's sent when the message has been delivered, and a read receipt is one that's sent when the message has been opened. While this can be a useful feature in some circumstances, it is another one that's been abused by spammers. A delivery receipt will tell the spammer they've hit on a legitimate email address, and a read receipt will inform them that the inbox is actually being monitored. If either of these get sent back to the spammer, you can certainly expect more spam. Fourth, avoid giving out your email address whenever possible. There are some different ways that you can go about doing this. One way is to set up a separate email address that you use as a more public address. When you make a purchase or sign up for an email newsletter, you can use that public address, which keeps those emails from clogging up your more personal private address. You can also use a service that allows you to create temporary addresses. This is a good idea if you're trying out a trial service that seems like it could be very useful, but you're a little bit concerned because you've never heard of the company before. There are services that offer email addresses that will then forward to your email account, and there are also ones that will give you an extremely temporary email address that will expire the moment you close the browser window. Either way, you can use the temporary email address long enough to sign up and verify your email account, and then you can ditch it and let the sender receive a not valid alert. However, just make sure you'll be able to cancel that service if you are signing up for something that offers a free trial. Otherwise, you may have some complications trying to cancel if you're no longer able to access the email account you used. And fifth, set up some rules to help keep your inbox clean. This isn't just a great way to stop spam, it's also good to help you manage the emails that you do want to receive. If you have certain senders or subject lines that always indicate an email isn't urgent, you can have those emails moved automatically to a different folder. That allows you to keep emails like newsletters from clogging up your inbox and distracting you from important items. 
If you use a Gmail account, there's another way that you can use rules. You can add a period anywhere in your email address and the email will still reach you. You can then set up rules based on where you added that period. So for example, if my email was jimherman at gmail.com, I could use jimherman at gmail.com anytime I sign up for a mailing list or make a purchase. Then I could specify a rule that moves any emails using that jimherman address to a separate inbox that I only look at when I have time. I could even move the period around and create a variety of different rules for different purposes. If you end up on a mailing list that you just can't seem to get off of, you can also set up a rule that automatically deletes those emails. But make sure that you are specific enough in the way you define the rule that you don't accidentally delete other emails along with it. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening, and come back again next Monday, where our tip will discuss how to examine links to help you determine if they're safe. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked in the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.